0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a longtime journalist and the author of the Healthier Together cookbook. This podcast is all about living your healthiest, happiest life in all ways possible, and I love having the type of deep, nourishing conversations that really feel like soul food. I've been having a lot of gratitude lately for all of you wonderful people out there who are willing to take this journey with me, to ask the bigger, harder questions, to skip the shallow conversations, to cry and to challenge, but also to laugh and to find joy in it all. The conversations that I've been having with you all in my DMs after the pros and cons of motherhood episode have been so insightful and so thought-provoking and fascinating. I am constantly in awe of how amazing the HT fam is and what a wonderful community this is, but you really impress me more every single day. So thank you for being here and for being part of it. I really appreciate all of you. I have an amazing guest for you guys today. I am so excited to have on Janae Claiborne, the founder of Sweet Potato Soul. Sweet Potato Soul is a crazy popular YouTube channel, a blog filled with the most delicious recipes, an Instagram community with over 300,000 members, and one of my favorite plant-based cookbooks. I still remember when Janae's cookbook came across my desk. It was back when I was the food director at Green. I got sent literally every single cookbook that came out, which meant that I was flipping through seriously like 10, sometimes more than 10 every single day. But Janae's immediately stood out. Usually in a good cookbook, there are maybe 10 recipes that I'm genuinely super excited to make. But in Janae's, there were like 50, I kept turning pages and salivating and just feeling like her food spoke to me. Janae creates plant-based versions of food that she loves, food that she grew up with, food that speaks to her soul. And you can taste that in her recipes. So if you like vegetables, but you find cooking them uninspiring, I highly, highly recommend that you add it to your shelf. But Janae as a person is just as wonderful as the food that she creates and shares with all of us. I adored this conversation. She's just incredibly honest. If you know me, you know that honesty and openness is always one of the things that I love most about people. If I meet somebody and I'm like, oh, I like that person, it's usually because we got really quickly into the deep, honest, vulnerable stuff. But Janae was so honest about money and motherhood and relationships and childhood and racism and pretty much every single topic that I threw at her. This is such a wide ranging and diverse episode. If you want to know how to make veggies taste good, Janae's got you there. Want to know how to help bridge the divide between people who have different political, ideological or dietary beliefs in you? She's got you there too. Thinking of starting a business and have no idea where to begin or how to make it successful? Yep, Janae's got wisdom in that department too. Want some new ideas for ways to manage anxiety and take care of your mental health? Well, you get the picture, but she's just got so much brilliance to share on so many topics. She is wise and funny and open and just a joy to talk to. And I hope that you love having this conversation, or should I say all of these conversations with us as much as I loved recording this episode for all of you. As always, we would love to continue the dialogue. So screenshot as you're listening and tag me. I'm at Liz Moody and Janae. She's at Sweet Potato Soul on Instagram. And then you can also find Janae on YouTube by searching Sweet Potato Soul and on SweetPotatoSoul.com. Her cookbook, Sweet Potato Soul, 100 Easy Vegan Recipes for the Southern Flavors of Smoke, Sugar, Spice, and Soul is available wherever books are sold. All right. Enjoy this episode with Janae Claiborne. All right, Janae, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So we will go back to your childhood and all of that in a little bit, but I actually am more curious right now. I've been thinking a lot about the impact of this pandemic on our psyches, and I feel like I heard an in-depth interview with you since the pandemic started. So I'm curious how you're doing at this point after sheltering in place with your baby and your husband for so many months, just sort of where your mental framework is at right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's kind of in the same place that it was early on March, April. I didn't even realize that we were not sheltering anymore. I thought everything was still locked down. And then like this week, they're like, everything's being locked down again.
0: And I didn't even realize that it had open up. I had that same, my mother-in-law was like, yeah, everything's closing. And I'm like, what was open? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, I missed out <laughs> because I
1: was not <laughs> anywhere. I totally was still sheltering in place. And of course, I went to the grocery store and I've been, of course, doing that. And occasionally to the farmer's market and like, I've gone to Target twice, but aside from that, nothing. And I have, I've seen friends twice. One of my girlfriends is moving. And she was like getting rid of everything in her spa. And I went by to buy some products. And then another friend who also has a little baby, uh, we hung out a couple of weeks ago. And, but that was it. I have not seen anybody since uh, other than my husband and my baby and occasionally some people at the park. And it is just, it's been really hard just because I'm from Georgia. I don't have my family around and I worry about them and I, I wish I could be with them. And like, for me, I'm waiting for this to be over mostly so I can like just you know get that weight off my shoulder and know that you know my parents and my grandmother are, are safe and and even feeling like I can visit them safely because I really 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 want to be near them yeah so that's the hardest part it's like I'm not concerned at all about myself and I work from home anyway And we, we all work from home my husband and I both work from home anyway, so that hasn't changed much it's just like the worry and the weight of the worry that has taken a toll on my psyche.
0: Have you had any moments of revelation or growth? I'm interested in how people are going to change as a result of this huge worldwide event that that we're all going through together essentially
1: Have I um, I'm thinking as it relates to this, I mean I think I've learned a, a little bit more about myself and I have definitely I don't know if I've grown, (laughs) I've learned, you know, I'm a very impatient person and I, and I, I don't like being at home and I don't like being in one place. I like to travel and be on the go and be out in nature. And so I've, I've learned like the extent of how important that is for me. But am I changing? No, I don't believe so. I think I'm just like, can't wait till this is over so I can go back to like going hiking and traveling and like like having that as like a very important part of my life and spending time with friends. Like, But as far as like, I do see like the world around us changing. I definitely think that this has been an amazing opportunity for people to look at our own lives and see, you know, potentially like where we were not living you know to our fullest potential because we've been so wrapped up in our lives the work you know stress about work i know a lot of people you know working from home that's given them a whole different perspective and a different you know their 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 productivity has changed and they've looked at that differently so i think that's really important and of course the frustration i believe has been very helpful Because when people are frustrated and they have a lot of people have more time on their hands, they're learning more about our country, you know, Black Lives Matter, like the whole, all the protests would not have had the same power and weight behind them, I don't believe, if we weren't Mm -hmm. also going through this huge pandemic. And I think, you know, that's a silver lining because, you know, in our old lives where we were just totally distracted and totally, you know, just so busy and, so so little bandwidth. We weren't taking the time to see these other issues. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have very much been tapped into these things before. Right now, I'm very much just like, you know, I, I'm continuing to learn and to, to grow, but it's more like I'm just kind of tapped into like what other people are doing and like paying attention to what other
0: people are doing. But I do see change for sure. Do you feel like your business has changed at all as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening? Yeah, I mean,
1: definitely my is just like the following has grown a lot. My following has doubled since BLM, since June 1st. So since the protests started. And it was already very large to begin with. So that's like a lot of people. Crazy. Yeah, it was like, I think it was 170, maybe like 174 on June 1st. And then like by middle of June, it was like 300. And now I'm like 340 or something. So that's been, you know, really big for me. I I definitely, you know, the way I make money is by working with brand. So you do these brand partnerships on my blog, my YouTube channel, and of course, Instagram. And that has, like, I think it's definitely ticked up. I have more more, um, work for sure with brands, but I always kind of had a lot anyway. I don't know if my rates have changed so much yet I haven't really noticed so much.
0: You gotta double up if you're double, double. big. I feel like you all should right.
1: like get double money, right? Double money. And then definitely you can work with fewer brands and like ha because you know working with brands is kind of stressful. <laughs> you know, I will say one thing, having COVID and also having all this, you know, more opportunity, it is very difficult for me to like I like around like money. I'm very fearful, you know, I'm afraid of not having enough, you know, like if we're going to, if we're going to go into some huge, you know, depression, I want to hoard as much money as I possibly can right now. So that over the course of the next, however many years, my I and my family are, we have some padding. Right. And so whenever, like I said, I said no to a really big partnership last week, that just was not right for me at all. But the money was like, oh yeah. And like the work was easy, but it was, but I knew for sure, like, this isn't for me, but I sat on it for a whole week and a half because I was just like, can I afford to say no to anything? Also with having a larger audience now, I definitely, and, and so quickly, I have a lot of fear around, you know, maybe these people who started following me perhaps cause they were guilty cause they, they felt guilty because they weren't following a lot of black people. Maybe they're going to like not want to follow me anymore. or Like, you know, like who knows they weren't following me before. So why are they going to continue supporting me now? Right. Mm. So I have a lot of fear around like these things. And so I definitely can work with fewer brands. I'm lucky that because I work in food and I like, I work mostly with food companies and appliance and things. And I, I own all these things anyway. So it's like, oh, come on. You want to work with me? Great. I already use all your products anyway. So I have a lot of natural affinity with food brands. But yeah, still, if I could work with fewer because that's less work, then that would be good. But then I'm like kind of afraid to do that. <laughs>
0: What were you raised with in terms of an attitude towards money? Like you were raised by a single mom. I don't know how much exactly your dad was in your life, but what was the approach to money in your household? Definitely.
1: There's never like you, we don't have enough and we, you know, like just very frugal mindset, very frugal with money. My mom. So when my parents had me, my mom was 25 and my dad was 22. So they're really young. They didn't have a lot of money. And um they broke up. I don't know exactly know when they broke up. I thought it was four, but I think it was earlier than that. And yeah, my mom, she's just like a super, super hard worker. That's where I get this from. She's like constantly I was my and my dad was has always been in my life and he's kind of the same. Super hard worker What did they do when
0: you were growing up? Like for work. Yeah, my
1: mom has a cleaning service. They both do the same thing still. Mom has a cleaning service doing like cleaning people's homes. And my dad does, he, well, kind of a little different now, but he works for a commercial janitorial company. So they're the companies that do like all the floors for like Staples and like Walmart and big stores like that. They started a company, a cleaning service together when I think I was a baby. And the reason they started this company was they also wanted to start a local black like lifestyle and such magazine and
0: that's cool
1: i know right and the way they wanted they didn't have any money though And they figured, okay, let's fund it somehow. My mom loves cleaning; like she was born as like she's like a super cleaning
0: clean. Oh my god, I can't. That's like probably the personality (laughs) type I can relate to least on the planet. Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: funny. My mom is not very organized, but she's like super clean. You know, I and I think I'm a little bit more like that. Like I'm always cleaning, but I'm not like straightening up stuff. It's just like. You're made for the pandemic. It's perfect for right now. Oh, yeah. We're like germaphobes. We're not that bad, though, because since I've become vegan, I learned more about like all these things. I'm like trying my hardest not to be a (laughs) germaphobe. Yeah. They started the cleaning businesses just so they could pay for this magazine. And they ended up not doing the magazine, breaking up and continuing their cleaning businesses. And I was always like super involved, not with my dad so much, but with my mom. So, Whenever we'd have like a day off school, you know, I'd have, like Monday off or like like, my mom never worked on weekends, but usually like spring break, Mondays off, summer break, I would have to work with her, and from the time it was probably seven or eight, and I really I like cleaning my house, but I hate cleaning other people's homes because you know other people just dirty and nasty and like nobody wants. To, I mean, some people like that. My mom does like she literally likes it like. That's the weirdest thing. But yeah, me no. And then my dad, I was when I would be with him, you know, we'd often be in the car for like hours and go out to some job site and then he would like leave me in the car for like, who knows? It felt like more hours and I would just like stare at the sky or, you know, just sit in there. This is of course I was a little kid and this was before cell phones even. So I had like a book. I think that was it. I don't think I had like Game Boy or anything like that. But yeah, um, my family, yeah, they're like super, super hardworking, worked a lot. They were, you know, I guess you'd call that blue collar and didn't make a lot of money, especially at first. But because they both had their own businesses, eventually they made a lot more money and were able to, you know, buy their own homes. Um, we were living with my grandmother when my mom and my dad broke up. And then I think I was seven years old, my mom bought her own house. And my dad, same, you know, he, Was remarried and has two more kids, and then of course he was able to buy his own house, and like they kind of had the American dream, really. But at the same time, despite literally living the American dream, or always they always talking about money, always talking about like how much something costs, and like I don't have enough money, I'm broke. You know, I'm broke. I can't buy you this. You know, I'm broke. You know, I'm broke. You know, I'm broke. But I don't actually think they were broke. (laughs) But that is definitely the the messaging that I heard a lot. And I definitely, definitely internalize that. So for me, I make plenty of money, but I I still have like, I'm extremely frugal. I have definitely that mindset of like, have to save. I'm like, I'm very, very, very good with money also. And I have to like talk myself into buying anything. And the only thing I feel really comfortable spending money on is like, yeah, nothing actually. (laughs) Was were you going to say food? No, I was thinking, do I feel comfortable? I was going to say travel, but I'm like a college traveler still. (laughs) Like I won't
0: sit in a nice hotel. Food is interesting to me because food is like the one category I give myself a full on free pass for. Like I go to the farmer's market and I'm like, I'm supporting the farmers (laughs) and I'll spend way more money than i should on stone fruit or weird types of lettuces and stuff but i'm like i it's my job and i have to eat and it's for the farmers and it's not good well i tell myself the same thing
1: and i do spend the money but i don't I, i don't actually feel comfortable like i don't feel like like my husband he grew up in a very different like opposite way of like money thinking household than mine his mom she'll say like she doesn't look at the prices when she goes grocery shopping. So that's literally the complete opposite from me. So he's very much like her. And we'll, we'll go to the farmer's market and he's just, or he'll go by himself. And I'm like, how much money did you send? He's like, I don't know. How much did that cost? I don't know. I'm like, I literally know how much everything costs for the farmer's market, especially since we go so much so often. I know how like this person has kale for $2. They got it for two twenty five dollars over there. Make sure you get it over there. And, of course, I'm comparing quality, not just the cost. But I know my stuff. <laughs> I know how much everything costs everywhere.
0: Has that created friction for you guys in running a business together? Like, is he like, oh yeah, we can spend this money to grow the business? Where you're like, mm, I don't know. Let's like think about that and be more conservative. Definitely, I'm extremely conservative. So he has to whenever he wants to, like
1: for example, buy a new camera. First of all, we only buy second hand, which makes me feel a lot better. And he's on board with that too. He's not like trying to just spin and spend. But also we usually, before we have like a big purchase, like a camera purchase, for example, we'll sit down and look at, you know, our income, like current income so that I can feel more comfortable making a large purchase like that. And like, we just moved from a very small 620 square foot apartment to this larger uh, two-story, 1800 square foot townhouse apartment. And our rent did not double. But we were looking at spending double for our rent, which is why I wanted to leave Los Angeles, because it is way ridiculously, in my opinion, overpriced and expensive. I'm not from here. I have no reason to be here.
0: I think of it as so cheap compared to New York, though. I think I have such like New York prices in my mind.
1: Yes, it is cheaper than New York. When we moved here from New York, we were like, wow, that's what I feel like more for our money. But now that I've been here for three years, I'm like, ooh, because now I'm looking at we've been trying to buy a house. We started actively like looking and putting offers in in January, and the COVID definitely stopped our plans, but I think it was for the best because we kept losing these offers, and everything we were, you know, every house that we would bid, make a bid on or offer on. There was like a huge part of me that was like, oh God, this is overpriced. This mm. sucks. This house needs a hundred to a hundred and fifty to sometimes two hundred thousand dollars of renovations, like legit. Some of the homes that we put offers in were like technically livable, but like 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 as you go visit your grandma and like, you know, in nineteen ninety and if she hasn't updated her house from nineteen seventy, that level or 1960 but we're, we're you know these are 650 700 thousand dollar homes so like
0: oof. if you could move anywhere where would you want to move
1: well right now i really just want to move back to atlanta and i finally have my husband on board with that because he's he's from colorado he's never lived down south i want to be close to my family but i also want to be in a big city i love atlanta we go we well before covid we'd go at least twice a year so I really would love to move back there. And if I, you know, if it wasn't there, you know, leave the United States, there's really nowhere, nowhere else in the U.S. that I'd like
0: really like to live. Where would you go? Not in the U.S.? Well, Costa
1: Rica. I would love to live in Costa Rica. That's like my, one of my goals. And I've never been to Portugal, but I wanted to live there <laughs> for so long. I've never even visited. My husband's gone a couple of times.
0: I'm surprised you guys didn't... Because you met when you were studying abroad in Spain, right? Spain, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't pop over to Portugal.
1: I know. Me and my girlfriends, we just never prioritized it. And then the year was over. But he went. That was the first time he went. And I just... like That's one of my biggest travel regrets. It's like, why didn't we go to Portugal? Duh. But we went everywhere else in Spain. We really... We're fully trying to immerse ourselves in Spanish. And we traveled... I, we only left the country like three times. We went to Morocco. We went to, I went to Germany and I went to London to visit friends. But other than that, we stayed in Spain
0: because we we're like, solo espanol,
1: <laughs> nada más.
0: You, are you fluent? No, <laughs> no más. <laughs> you and your husband could speak it together. It's like your language of love because you met That's there. That's true
1: though. That's, you right though about that, but I mean, we don't. <laughs>
0: fair enough (laughs) unless we're like in
1: in a spanish-speaking country you know we have to and like someone else is around and they're only speaking spanish and then right
0: absolutely (laughs) like you have no other option other Mm -hmm. than to do it you have to give yourself no other option i'm reading a book about habits and it's like sometimes the best way to form a habit is to get rid of any other option to do anything else so true
1: yeah for sure
0: So you talk about your mom in almost every single interview that I've read with you, and she's clearly had this incredible impact on your life. And I think that's wonderful, obviously. But you also have talked about how you guys have really different political views and you disagree on some fundamental like ideological issues and i'm really curious because we live in such a divided country right now and people there seems to be this pervasive attitude on the internet like if you don't agree with somebody you can't talk to them you right. can't have a conversation whatever and i'm curious how you've navigated that relationship since it's the person you're one of the people you're closest to in yeah, the world
1: the person one of the people i love the most probably the only person next to my daughter i'm extremely you know close to my mom and i love my mom so much but She and I have never had the same, as as long as I've had my own political views, they have differed from my mother's. And we've argued about it. And when I was younger and I was more, you know, like argumentative and such, it was so hard for me to talk to her because it was like, I did have that feeling like we just like different, these different values and her, she Mm -hmm. has like these terrible ideas and like, we can't, we can't even get along. But as I've gotten older. Like I still, I, we really, we, yes, we still argue. We're having a text argument right now, like not in this second, but like this week is like a long text argument. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's helpful to have people in your life who have differing views. I think it's actually, I don't like that, that there is this attitude. For example, Trump, then I'm not going to speak to you. You're a bad person. We have nothing in common. Get out of my faith. Because I think, Having that attitude as righteous and as right as you think you are, I think ending the conversation is really dangerous because having the conversation, I'm learning constantly from my mom and she's learning from me. We're constantly having conversations about things we don't agree with and, you know, in a lot of ways, becoming more open minded. And I don't think my mom is so unique in this. For example, my mom is a Republican, but she has a lot of ideas views that you wouldn't expect a Republican to carry. For example, I remember when when uh, gay marriage was on the ballot, you know, and then it was like gay people shouldn't get married or that they, they should. My mom has always been completely supportive of gay marriage. But, you know, she's a Republican at the same time. So there's that contradiction within her. And I don't know that many Republicans and I don't know that many people who have you know, these wildly different views from me, but at least from knowing my mother and also a lot of other parents from the, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs. So a lot of other people in the suburbs that I grew up with and their parents, the contradictions within their, you know, whatever political views are pretty broad. And I think when you're able to have a conversation with someone and really get to, you know, understand like, okay, sure, you do, you are, you say you're a Republican because you support the economy, but at the same time, like from my mother, she cleans homes and everybody who works for her is always an immigrant. And she's very supportive of those people having rights and, you know, citizenship and the rest. Right. But at the same time, she prioritizes the economy over that. And also it is extremely important, I believe, to recognize that you get your information as For me, I'm a a leftist. (laughs) I'm pretty radical. I'm far more radical, I think, than a lot of just Democrats, right? But I get my information and my news from certain sources, and I don't even hear a lot of the information that she hears and vice versa. So I say, Mommy, did you hear such and such thing happen? No, I didn't know about that. They didn't talk about that word. You know, she was like talk radio. And I think if you're able to have conversations with people who have different views from you, you're able to also get out of your little echo chamber of what's right and what's going on in the world. And I think that's really helpful. And I think it and can make us all more open minded. And yeah, shutting down the conversation, I think, is the first no-no when it comes to evolving.
0: And there's so many issues that are sort of like that these days. There's political stuff, Even the pandemic has, you know, do you wear a mask or do you not? And Mm then veganism, I think, and dietary preferences Mm -hmm. has that as well. So do you have any tips for not getting really angry when you're trying to have these conversations with people who do have different ideologies than you?
1: Yes. And I think I did learn this from my mother of all people, but in my family in general, it's to have humility and understand that you don't have all the information and you don't know everything. It is so often that, you know, for example, uh, with COVID right now, you feel like, oh, you should definitely do this. This is the way to combat this pandemic, yada, yada, yada. And then give it five years and we're going to learn that so much of what we thought was right was absolutely wrong and caused all these issues. But we're we're not going to let these go right now. Right. But understand that you don't have all the information and it's going to change and we're going to find out the truth later. We need hindsight. And I yeah, I think like it's fundamentally start with the start with humility. You know, like Kendrick Lamar said, be humble, like bottom line. (laughs) Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think knowing how much we don't know is a great way to start in almost any part of our lives. Has your relationship with your mom changed at all since you became a mom yourself? I
1: think so. I we've definitely, first off, I can relate to her so much more, like way so much more. And, you know, speaking about politics and like differing ideas, you know, so much of how we decide on, you know, our political views is based in fear. And I think as a mother now, I can see where, you know, my mom and my grandmother have a lot of fear, like how the fear from having a child and wanting the best for me and wanting me to be safe and, and all these things has influenced how they view the world. And for me, like I try my best to be self-aware and to not let fear drive my decisions and to be you know open and, and constantly questioning why am I thinking certain ways, but like definitely I can, I can relate with them a lot more. And I know of course fear is still driving my life in some ways, but I have a lot more empathy and compassion for all mothers, you know, and other people too, but especially mothers, because you know, they're the, even if you hate what they're doing, they more than likely are doing it because they think it's best for their child.
0: Yeah, that's 100% true. I've, even just growing up, I've had, like, getting older, I've had more empathy for my mom and how hard it is to carry a part of yourself outside of your body. I've also been thinking... A lot right. about motherhood recently. I just did a podcast episode called The Pros and Cons of Motherhood.
1: Because
0: mm. I'm trying to decide if I want to have a kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a big decision, but uh, I'm curious what you think are the pros and cons of motherhood so far. And you're one and a half, one, you're almost you, I, one pregnancy, I would say, is part of the journey, though, too. So I'd say over two years exactly. of motherhood. God, you're so right about that.
1: I really, I knew that I wanted to have a kid from like probably the like last maybe 10 years, since I was like 25, maybe, but actually I'm not 35 though. So <laughs> since I was in my twenties, right. I knew that I wanted to have a kid, but then as far as like now that I am a mom, okay, let me try to be, let me try to like really think about how I feel about this. Cause I don't just say like, there are no problems. It is extremely challenging. Sure. And especially early on this few first, months like the first three months the fourth trimester extremely difficult and now it's hard too. like trying to juggle like working from home being a full-time you know having a full-time job and being a mom full-time which is another full-time job it's just a challenge but you know honestly my life is a lot better now like of course it's not better like I don't have more of anything else but I have more like love and just like contentment and satisfaction and like, I laugh a lot more. Just like like joy. I have way more joy in my life now. But I think it's worth it. I mean I don't have a teenager yet. <laughs> when she becomes a teenager, then that might be a different scenario. But like now, at this age, it's like definitely it's it's wonderful. I love it. Did
0: you like being pregnant? I did
1: not the first three months. So, I had the first three months of pregnancy were also very difficult, I had just like terrible morning sickness. But after that, it was smooth sailing.
0: <laughs> All right. All right. It's a good vote of confidence. Yeah. Okay. I want to switch gears for a little bit and talk about you as a businesswoman. And I now, even talking about your parents, I feel like I'm getting more of a sense of like this entrepreneurial, ambitious spirit that is yeah. very much in your family. But I know you You were working at a vegan restaurant and you were like, veganism is cool. And then you started doing private chefing. And I was listening to an interview where you were talking about like, essentially having the realization that if you wanted a private chef for fancy rich people, you should like go to where fancy rich people were and put yourself in their way and talk yeah. about your services. And I just feel like so many people want to start their own business, want to start working for themselves. And they don't know where to begin with those really concrete, step something like that. Like, oh, I'll go to the fancy yoga studio and ask if I can set up there. So how did you even know where to start or how to begin to put those pieces together?
1: How did I know? It might have kind of, it might've just been a little bit intuitive. Like I was working in the Upper West Side. So, you know, surrounded by fancy rich folks anyway. Um, (laughs) I was like, these are my clientele. (laughs) I know where they are. I know where to find them. But I don't know. I think it might have been a little bit intuitive, but I also, I'm trying to, I kind of think back. I did the Integrative Institute for Integrative Nutrition program and they have a lot of like business stuff uh, that comes along with the program. And I'm wondering, I might have learned some of it from that program. I can't remember, but it is, it is just like bottom line for a business sense and marketing yourself to know who your audience is first and foremost, and then find out. Where are they? How can you reach them? So whether you're a blogger or, or you sell a product or you're a chef or dog walker, whatever, you have to know specifically who is your clientele? Who who do you want to be your person? Who's going to pay you whatever?
0: And then just backtrack <laughs> and see where they
1: shop and where they
0: spend their time. And yeah. Did you think IIN was worth it? And do you think those types of like, I always debate How much money you should spend on your business before you start your business, before you're making any money with it, you know? Good point. Yeah. I loved IIN, especially
1: just because I, I like the community of it. So I think I did the second round after they went online. It wasn't the very first online program. I think it was the second. But at the same time maybe because I lived in New York, there was a lot of community. We we were constantly meeting up and having like study sessions.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. Doing each other's health histories and such. And it was, it was like a tight knit. One of my best girlfriends, she and I, I don't know if they still do, but back then they paired you up with an advisor who had done the program and they kind of helped you with your business and any questions and such. And she and I had the same advisor. And so the advisor. Said, oh, you're both in New York. You should meet up. And we became best friends. So that was amazing. And as far as like, I really, as far as learning about nutrition and such, the reason I did IIN was because I was starting this personal chef company and I did not have the money to go to culinary school. And I also didn't think it was worth it. So I said, okay, if I'm going to invest some money and I want to have a deeper understanding of nutrition before I'm cooking for people, let me do something that's like, I think it was, I don't remember how much, maybe $2,000 versus. What, like 50 tens of thousands of (laughs) dollars for culinary school? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it definitely gave me what I needed, and it definitely gave me the confidence that I was looking for before I really got started with my private chefing. It was nice to, of course, nobody cares. Like, my clients really don't care if I've gone to culinary school or I am. But for me, it was like, "Ah, I have this behind me. I know what I'm talking about. People ask me questions, I feel like I can answer them or point them Mm. in the, the right direction. And then the business part I loved too, because it was like, you know, very fundamental, but very helpful. And, and again, gave me the confidence that I think I needed. So yeah, I liked it. I know a lot of people don't though, but I did.
0: Do you think that like, would you recommend to people that it's worth sinking a few thousand dollars into themselves as a business person or anything like that before they start a business or no? Depends
1: on the person. Depends on how, because some people... I think you need to know how serious you are before you spend a penny. So you got to be really, like really honest with yourself for me. Yes, it was perfect. I also, after I, and I went on to do all sorts of other business courses with, you know, business coaches and programs and such. Mm. And I spent you know, all sorts of money. I remember I did a program called holistic MBA and it was, it's like specific business for people who work in like health coaching and such. And I had, I think I had like, I don't remember how much I had in the bank, but I remember I spent I signed up for this like year long program and I spent like 90 percent of what I had in the bank. But I did this knowing for a fact with utmost confidence that there was a worthy, worthwhile investment. Now, if I had had any question in my mind or any doubt in myself, I wouldn't have done it. Honestly,
0: I feel like I can get on board, at least at this point in my own business that like I'm worth it. But I'm like, there's so many coaches out there. How do you know which ones of those are worth it? Yeah,
1: because I had fallen in love with them, basically. these women (laughs) They were just so inspiring and their businesses were just doing great. Like there's a thing, there's a little bit of multi-level marketing when it comes into coaching, right? And so it's very important to, of course, know that first and foremost. And it's even worse nowadays because it's like, grown this is i'm talking when i'm this uh what we're talking about this is like 2012 2020 is i'm sure a different story like every time i go into facebook there's like a million ads for different coaches who will teach you how to be a coach
0: right that's what i think is scary about it is like they're not necessarily teaching you how to run your business in your own category they're teaching you how to coach because that's how they make their money right
1: and then you need to coach other people to become coaches that sounds like a pyramid scheme to me So this wasn't like this. This is very much like your chef, whatever. There was specific categories and it was just like helping. Uh, It's just business sense for if you wanted to do something in the holistic field. So in the program, there were women who I was private chefing and doing online vegan coaching programs. There were people who were massage therapists or um, some women who had their own product lines. A lot of people came from IIN, people who were doing like all sorts of stuff, up with children, a few different men who were targeting men with like these weight loss programs. But There was nobody who was trying to teach other people the business of teaching other people the business. You know what I mean? There's right. That. That's a good red flag for me.
0: Yeah. Are there any like mistakes that you feel like you made early in your business that if somebody was just starting a business now, you'd be like, don't do that. And is there anything that you would like wish you learned earlier and you wish you could go back to your former self and be like, this was it. You should have done this. This is really helpful.
1: Um, I'd say organization. Find organization early on with your business and, you know, bookkeeping and those things and track your finances.
0: I feel like you're speaking to me directly now. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Both of us.
0: <laughs> no, because, you know, like I
1: said, I'm good with money and I know how much is coming in. Here's the thing. For different reasons, I know how much is coming in and I have a tendency to not spend. However, it's very important to know how much is coming in and understand how spending can be a worthy investment in helping you make more money. Hiring, bringing people on, understanding that you are making money, for example, and you should bring somebody on right now because they can lighten your load and you can you know, have more bandwidth to do X, Y and Z. That's always been my challenge. And because, you know, I just, it's just me and my husband helps me too. And I've only hired one person in this. I mean, I do have a manager and she's incredibly helpful. But as far as like hiring, like on a payroll situation, I've only hired one person. And that was just less than a year ago. Uh, She's not working with me anymore. But I think I would have grown more. If I had it in me to be a manager, for example, to be able Mm. to better manage people and be organized and know that this is how I need you to help me. Because, look, I can hire somebody today. They get here and I'm like, I don't know what I need you to do. I do everything on my own and I don't have any idea of what it is. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's the like control element. I I look at my job and I'm like, I don't know what you could do of my job because my job is me, you know? Exactly,
1: exactly. And sometimes it's just enough. You don't need anyone else. But I know for me, it definitely is something that I struggle with today, even knowing, knowing for a fact that I need help, but not having, not knowing like how to, to do that. And so the organization with your money, you need to have that, but also just like, again, knowing what it is that you need help with um, and being organized in your day-to-day so that when you do bring somebody on, if you do, you know exactly what you're handing to them and being able to let go of control too because like you're just saying, like that is my struggle. Like I do everything pretty much by myself still and it is hard, but I'm afraid to let somebody else help me.
0: It's probably like a good lesson for life in general outside of just a business.
1: Exactly. And now that I have a baby, it's like, girl, you need help. I don't have a babysitter, never
0: had a babysitter. Well, and now you have an excuse since you're like not supposed to bring other people into your house. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so you're good, what we're I'm good saying? to go for a little bit at least. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of your business is that you have gotten probably tens of thousands of people excited about vegetables who previously weren't excited about vegetables. I think you do wonderful work just being like, these are the flavors that you can impart in vegetables. So I would love to talk about vegetables for for a little bit, because I think a lot (laughs) of people are under the false assumption that vegetables can't taste good. Right. So when did you always know the vegetables could taste good? No, definitely not. How (laughs) did you learn that?
1: (laughs) So I learned that from the way I happened was I was extremely picky all my life. I'm still kind of picky, especially now I have a child. I'm like, ooh. I'm pickier
0: than her. I'm a <laughs> super picky eater. I think a lot of people who become recipe developers start as picky eaters. And I, yeah. because I was just trying to develop food I wanted to eat because I couldn't find it elsewhere. Same.
1: That's exactly how I started liking vegetables because I'm like, girl, you don't eat any vegetables. Here you are eating a whole, you know, I sit down on the sofa, eat a whole bag of whatever cookies. And I felt so guilty doing that. And then I'm like, okay, I love to eat. There's no way I'm not going to eat. I went to school for acting and just like a lot of like, there's a dieting culture and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't diet, but I do want to look my best and yada, yada, yada. Not that being thin looks your best, but you know, that was my thinking back then. But I am not going to diet. I'm not going to starve myself. What am I going to do? Oh, how about if I eat vegetables? My mother, she is a very healthy eater and has always been my whole life. And I would not eat any of the food she'd eat. She'd eat salad. The only thing that we actually really liked together was fruit. But everything else, yogurt, salad, mm -mm, none of that. But she always said, "Janae, if you eat healthy, if you eat fruits and vegetables, you can eat as much as you want. And you'll be healthy. You never have to go to the doctor. You have so much energy like me. You see how I run eight miles a day? That's because I eat just fruits and vegetables. And I'm like, oh, whatever. But really when I came when I had, you know, I was going to college, I was in college and and I had this, you know, question in my mind of how am I gonna like feel my best. And I'm like, oh my mom did say, but I hate vegetables. But so I just realized maybe if I prepare them in a way that I think tastes good, then I'll eat them. And that's what happened and that's how I got on this entire journey, just trying to make vegetables that I like to eat.
0: I'm so excited to introduce you to today's sponsor, Atoka Herbal Blends. They have two types of drinks, herbal shots and herbal tonics, and they have amazing ingredients. They're 100% plant-based and non-GMO. More importantly, they are super functional. Every single ingredient serves a purpose. There are three types, calm, balance, and well. The Calm Blend has a mix of chamomile, hops, and dark cherry. Then there's the Balance Blend, which really helps to soothe your gut with lemongrass, bitter orange peel, linden and cranberries, and then the Well Blend, which is so great for supporting immunity, with reishi, elderberry, cinnamon, clove, and ginger. All of the herbal shots are caffeine-free, and then the herbal tonics have a black tea base for even more health benefits. Zach is 100% obsessed with the tonics. He drank like three a day when we were driving from Colorado to California. He says that he loves them for their health benefits, but I think he just loves the flavor. Because I don't drink caffeine, I like to drink the herbal shots, which I either have on their own, they just shoot them back, they're really tasty, or I add them to sparkling water to make a delicious, healing, fizzy drink. You can get 25% off your first order using the code AtokaLiz25 at AtokaWellness.com. Again, that's code A-T-O-K-A-L-I-Z25 at AtokaWellness.com. I hope you love these. As a non-soda drinker, I am always on the lookout for fun drinks that actually have health benefits, and these definitely hit the spot. Now, let's get back to the episode. So do you have any secrets for somebody who's like, let's say you're just looking at broccoli. Like, how would you make broccoli taste amazing? What's like one or two ways you can make broccoli taste amazing? Well,
1: I like simple preparations, especially now that I've been eating veggies for so long. But roast it like that's amazing. It tastes delicious. Toss it with some oil, put some uh, sea salt on it. If you want to make it a little cheesy, put nutritional yeast on it and roast it. And it tastes amazing same with like most vegetables roasting is just like you know the bee's knees for anything but before then if you need to like cover it a little bit more you can do like same with cauliflower you can deep fry it <laughs> um or now you know we have air fryer so you could do a lot of the same thing with air fryers you'd be like uh, you could do like um kung pao cauliflower or kung pao mm. broccoli when you coat it in the breading and then you dip it you have it in a sauce and it's super delicious. And it's kind of reminds you of like Kung Pao chicken. So yeah, you can use broccoli in the same way that you would chicken. Bottom line, just any way you want to eat chicken, do it with broccoli and you'll probably like it.
0: Are there any like ways that you make vegetable filled food easier? Like I think I'm trying to think of the obstacles people have to eating veggies. Like one is you buy them and they go bad really quickly. Yes. Another one is that I think that people are under the assumption they can take more time to prepare. Yes. So, like, how do you overcome those obstacles?
1: Well, I do like coming back to roasting. Like, if you toss anything with oil and salt and stick it in the oven, it's easy. You hardly have to do anything, and it tastes amazing. And so, I definitely recommend that. And I also highly recommend. Just paying attention to how much time you are taking with the other food. I mm. had this conversation with my sister-in-law a couple weeks ago. She said, I want to eat more vegan food, but the preparation, it takes so long. And I said, okay, tell me what you're eating. That's not vegan. Uh, I'll usually put a piece of fish like in the oven with some lemon and salt. I said, okay. You just eat fish for dinner? Like, you don't eat no rice. You don't eat no vegetables with that. Like Just fish and that's enough. No, I I usually cook some rice and I'll cook some vegetables. Okay, so you're already cooking vegetables, Ron. You can continue doing the same. You're already cooking rice. Continue doing the same. However you make it, that's fine. You need to replace the fish, which is like a high protein thing. Okay, now that is the only thing you need to change in the equation. You don't have to change anything else. But people need to be honest with like, really, how much time am I taking in the kitchen? How Mm. much prep am I already doing? what do I really need to switch? People always say, I don't eat vegan food. But then I ask them what they eat. And they're like, I eat chicken, I eat fish, I eat burgers. What comes with the chicken, fish, and the burgers? I know you don't eat just that. And then they say, okay, well, with it, I eat the rice, I eat the pasta, I eat broccoli, asparagus, da, 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 So you're only switching out the animal protein. And when it comes to that, there are a lot of alternatives that don't take a lot of time my favorite thing to recommend to people is eat more mushrooms especially the meatier more flavorful uh, mushrooms that even have more of the medicinal qualities Hardier ones like maitake uh, shiitake oyster mushrooms though even portobello even which is like so common you can find that anywhere and they require so little prep you don't even have to cut them up you can literally prepare them the same way you would a piece of fish or a piece of chicken, so the same seasonings in the oven or on the grill or whatever, pan sear, whatever. And then you can continue just like I said, you see going to eat it with rice anyway. You can eat it with broccoli or whatever anyway. Also, people definitely eating more beans and lentils I think is important. They are extremely easy to prepare and they're great protein source, and you also have more fiber with them. So you're going to stay fuller for longer and fiber. It's one of those things that people do not get enough of. People are so worried about, am I getting enough protein? Yes, you are, but you're not getting enough fiber. So that is something that the conversation, it would be nice if it were to switch. It would be more around, how can I get my fiber versus how can I get my protein?
0: Yeah. I interviewed a uh, gut health doctor, a famous gastroenterologist, and he is all about fiber and just how can we pack. He says it's the best thing you can do for your gut health. It's obviously filled with prebiotics. It's so good for your microbiome and all of that. Right. But to the protein question, I mean, it has to be the most common question you get as a vegan. What's yes. your sort of answer to the Well, how do you get your protein? How do you get enough protein?
1: Well, I say, well, you can get protein from most sources of food, but the most important thing you should do as a vegan is eat a whole food, plant-based diet. Meaning that you're eating very minimally processed foods, things that you recognize as coming out of the ground. And when you're eating foods like that, so broccoli, for example, even that is a good source of protein. You're eating uh, an an abundance of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds. Then you're easily going to get enough protein without actually having to count protein or having to count macros or even having to count calories. Now, that is great at every stage of life. But you have to understand also that you need to eat enough of it to feel full and to feel nourished and to feel like you're thriving. I know that a lot of people it seems like for me, the biggest challenge that people tell me about is that when they're eating vegan, they feel hungry all the time. Mm. If you feel hungry all the time, that tells me that you're not eating enough food. There's a lot of like diet culture, of course, in our culture. People feeling guilty about eating too much food, feeling like they need to eat uh, calories, feeling that they need to watch the portions on their plates. But if you're eating a whole food vegan diet, that has to go out of the window. You cannot follow those rules because vegan food, not just vegan, vegan food could be all sorts of stuff, but whole foods, just like fruits and vegetables, plant matter, has less calories, has a lot less fat than animal products. And you can eat more of it. It also has a lot more fiber, too. So it can even fill you up more quickly. And you you can't count calories. It'll throw you off. You can't count portions, especially. Well,
0: that's like, I think a lot of people almost use veganism or other types of any sort of ism diets as a gateway to eating disorders or disordered eating. And is there anything you do with your audience to help make sure that that doesn't happen. Cause that's the thing that scares me the most is when people use health food as an excuse to just get skinny and then view their body in a way that I don't feel good about at all.
1: Yeah, no, that is extremely common, but no, I don't. I think for a lot of my, at least the vocal audience, that is, um, there might be, we might have an opposite of that. So I get far more comments or questions about how do I gain weight as a vegan than I do. How do I lose weight? I think it has a lot to do with my demographic and the fact that I'm black because black women, I don't know like numbers or such, but definitely we are we we don't want like like losing weight. Being skinny is not a strong part of our culture. It's often the opposite.
0: It's not like idealized as much as the ideal body. right?
1: No, no. The ideal body in my culture is larger. You know, it's like you want to be curvy. You want to have like a little meat on your bones. So no, I get the opposite question, which is harder to answer, of course, because it is a lot of people do become vegan so they can lose weight. And if you're coming becoming vegan to lose weight because you have a health condition, you know, especially a lot of older people, you know, their doctor says, you need to lose weight. It's too much on your heart. You have high blood pressure. You have diabetes. You need to lose weight. Go vegan. It's easy. It'll, it'll, well. Is not just easy, but it is an easy way to help lower your risk of heart disease and diabetes, and to lose weight, and to support the body that is less likely to get those diseases. So that's one thing, and people do come to me for that. But as far as like just losing weight to like look skinny, no, that's not really much of my audience.
0: What about other wellness stuff that you do? Like, I know that you don't drink coffee, which I'm so interested in because I also don't drink coffee and I'm like the only person I've ever met and everybody else thinks I'm insane. I know. So I'm curious, first of all, why don't you drink coffee?
1: Uh, I love coffee. And honestly, I haven't had coffee. I will have like one coffee, maybe like every six months. However, I'm addicted. Like I haven't had, I can't even tell you the last time I had coffee. I don't remember. But I am still addicted. Like, if I walk by a coffee shop and I smell the roasting beans, I'm like, you know, oh my God, don't go in there, don't go in there, don't go in there, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Or if I'm in a coffee shop and, you know, like, order the tea, order the tea, don't get the coffee, (laughs) don't even get the decaf coffee. It's an addiction. And I don't like being addicted to anything. I don't Mm. like how, I don't know, maybe in a few years after, because I haven't had, I gave up coffee when I was pregnant because I realized I wanted to. Lower my stress levels during pregnancy. And I, I realized that very early on, luckily, that coffee was increasing my anxiety, especially in the mornings so I would have a cup of coffee. And then shortly after that, I would start feeling the anxiety in my stomach, butterflies in my stomach. And I just talked it up to like, I'm a stressed out person. I'm so busy. But, you know, there is a lot of talk of giving. Uh, Caffeine and specifically coffee up when you're pregnant. So I gave it up because some people said you just shouldn't drink it when you're pregnant. And it's just like right away when I gave it up, I realized, oh my gosh, those butterflies are gone. That anxiety mm. is gone. That was coffee. That wasn't just I'm busy, it was literally the coffee. And so I just never reintroduced it into my life. Also, my daughter, by the way, is crazy she has so much energy I'm paranoid of her having any coffee or yes any coffee through my breast milk because I'm still breastfeeding so I do matcha I do do matcha
0: yeah I was gonna ask if you did anything else for energy is matcha your main go-to
1: that's my only go-to yeah and I'll have one a day in the morning when I wake up uh and if I need any more energy after that I have to it just
0: you just need to take a nap basically I think that's such, it's such an obvious solution. Like if I'm tired, <laughs> maybe I should take a nap, but it's so far from people's mind. You know, they're like, oh, I'm tired. I and it's know. like what supplement and what drink and whatever. And it's like, maybe yes. I'm just tired. You're just
1: tired. Cause we feel like we have to keep going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And that can be very bad for your health. Like as healthy as we want to be, we totally downplay the importance of rest. Like you know, it's, it's just, it is, I believe it is the most, it is not the most, but one of the most crucial aspects of health is to have good sleep and to let, you know, reduce stress as much as possible. And if you need a nap in the middle of the day to take naps. It just, it's really, I, I have a new sofa. Oh my gosh. And it's making nap life so much easier. Cause I was, since we moved into this new house, I've been like just trying to get everything perfect and like I'm working a lot. And I've been neglecting my naps, Mm. new sofa over here. Look, no need to like, you don't have to convince me to take a nap. Mm
0: -mm. You mentioned anxiety and I'd be remiss not to address it because this isn't an anxiety podcast, but everybody (laughs) listening knows that that's like my biggest health issue that I struggle with. And so whenever anybody says it, my ears perk up and I'm like, have Mm -hmm. you struggled with anxiety? And if so, tell me about it and tell me what you did, please. Yes.
1: And yeah, I mean, I still continue to struggle with anxiety. I think for people, very ambitious people, especially Taipei people, it might just be a fact of, I don't know about for everyone, but for me, I do think it's, it it comes with the territory of being this ambitious and constantly like what got to keep going, got to keep doing, you know? And I don't think I'm able to like, not be the type of person I am and to not keep striving and keep adding more to my plate and keep worrying about. Because part of the, like I said before, part of the reason I do so much is honestly a fear and anxiety that I will not have it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I have to keep putting it on my plates. And so for me, you know, like I, I always tell people health is wealth. I truly firmly believe that. But when you talk about health, it is also mental health. I definitely try to prioritize things that will help me to reduce my anxiety. And like I said also before, that's why it's important for me to know how much money I'm making and to look at and like my even my analytics to be able to have some like a truthful conversation because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money. Yada yada yada. We can't afford this. Whereas if I can just look at the numbers, I'm like, okay, I can feel good about this. We can't afford it. I don't have to have like this fake, you know, nonsense dialogue in my head. And as far as like therapy also very important. I do not go to therapy right now and I feel like I should. And I feel like, you know, that's like on my list of things to do. (laughs) But I have historically, you know, since I was in seventeen years old. Yeah, so I definitely think that's important too.
0: I was talking to a doctor and she said that she feels like there's a stigma in the black community around therapy. Did you feel like that? And did you feel like you had to overcome that at all to be comfortable going to therapy? She was like, I was just taught Mm -hmm. to go to church when I was a kid if I had any Mm -hmm. issues, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is my family, it is a stigma and they would probably say, no, it's not. But my family, when I was a teenager and I was suffering from depression when I first started, they were like, right away, Let's, you have to go to see a therapist. Like, no question. Mm. I mean, maybe, I don't know what their their dialogue was without me present, but it was like, that's what you do. But at the same time, they never went for themselves. They never modeled that that was a way that you... Oh, that's interesting. Problem. The way they modeled was drinking alcohol. And yeah, basically that. Like, both of my parents drink a lot. and And they're not like... I don't know. Maybe I don't want to call them alcoholics. They, I don't know what they would call themselves, but they drink a lot. And it was taught to me that that is a way that you deal with your anxiety and your stress. Every night you should have a drink and then you party like on the weekend. But then they wanted me to go to a the therapist. And I'm like, okay. And so I started going and I do value it. And I did grow up in a majority white suburb. And I did see and hear about other people going to therapy. And then I went to college. Boston University with a lot of wealthy white people and I by the way I studied acting and so therapy was like like a cool thing to do like of course you have a therapist yeah if you don't like what is wrong with you so yeah I've definitely had like both inputs in my life of you know like the mainstream even I don't even know if that's mainstream like just like wealthy people in my life who definitely you know take it seriously to go to therapy and then my family sending me to therapist, and never ever ever going themselves and even like like our own like family issues you know them complaining about them and saying that so-and-so needs to see a therapist but that so-and-so never goes and has never been and then like i'm like but you also have issues and you're not going so how are you gonna tell somebody else to go you know yeah. We were not religious. We weren't religious, <laughs> so I don't have the same, you know, background as that therapist you're talking about. Because we it wasn't like you just pray on it. But, you know, around me, even though I grew up in a white suburb, all my friends and family all my friends are black and all my close friends are black and their families are black and they were all religious. So I did also hear that from them. I had a lot of nice messages around therapy basically.
0: <laughs> Do you drink now? What's your relationship with alcohol now? I do. And
1: I try not to drink too much, but like, especially COVID, like, yo, I got, am <laughs> like working with this wine brand and they sent me two shipments of wine and I go to Trader Joe's. I haven't been in like many months because I got the shipments of wine. But since COVID started, I'm like, I'm drinking at least every three days. Usually I'll have like a glass of wine.
0: There was a period after it was the first like month when we were just starting to shelter in place and we were in a 500 square foot New York apartment. Mm-hmm. And there was one day I woke up and I realized I'd, I'd had a drink, at least a drink every single night for an entire month. And I was like depressed and anxious and scared. And the drink was like my light at the end of the tunnel for getting through every day. And I had to fully reevaluate because I've never viewed alcohol in that way where it is your reward for getting through the day. And I was like, "Eh, this is not ideal.
1: I think it's like the addictive quality, like how I don't like being addicted to coffee. And also my parents needing that, you know, every day. My, My mom, she says she doesn't drink every week. So, but... At the same time, I don't, like, say you, you shouldn't drink every day. Like, for some people, it is what really works, and it's the only thing that works. And, like, my parents, they both drink, and they're both highly functioning, you know, citizens, and they're great. They're not, like, violent or, or anything anything close to that. But I know, like, for me, and I just have, like, a different way of approaching my life. I like to, like, I've been doing yoga, for example, for, like, 13 years now and like yoga is it's all aspects of my life but it you know as far as like getting through the day and, and I see it's like a more active and more rewarding and more it's a more supportive tool for me than alcohol so I'll do yoga nidra instead of having a glass of wine if I really feel like
0: I need something I love I'll that watch TV. are there any other sort of like weird wellnessy stuff that you do?
1: yoga nidra, just yoga in general. I used to be a little bit more into meditation, but I haven't since my daughter was born. I will say, you know, especially if there are any pregnant women listening or, you know, if you're going to be pregnant, I highly, when I was pregnant, I started doing hypnobirthing. So hypnobirthing is, it's an actual, it's not just like, you don't just do it when you're in labor and giving birth, but it's it's basically a meditative hypnosis practice that you have to develop just like you would your yoga practice or any other med- meditation practice over the course of many months. And then when you're in labor, that's when you utilize it the most, right? Cause you got to be like hundred percent in it. And that was so awesome. And so like, I don't know, I had, the, I had my child, my baby at home and I was in labor for 37 hours and I was sick. Like the whole time I was throwing up like legit. Not the whole time, but until there is literally nothing in my system except for Oh my god I was doing it. Okay. Like
0: yeah. Both this ends. is why I'm afraid to have a baby. <laughs> yes.
1: But if you have a like really I had a very, very strong meditation and you know, hypnobirthing practice that I had been developing for months. Like all like you're doing breath work, you're doing meditation, you're doing hip, you know, self-hypnosis, you're doing visualizations affirmations and you're and i was doing yoga of course the whole time and you're even doing i don't know what you call it but it's like you when you're pushing yourself to the edge for example this is one thing you put your arms out and you kind of circle your arm it's like almost like um, oh
0: i've done that in yoga and it like yes. it's you like all you want to do is put your arms down but yes. you're in the class and the teacher will call you out if you put your arms down and it's horrifically painful
1: horrifically painful but you can't stop and i, I would do that like all of these like painful things that would like help you learn how to breathe through pain mm. and it really paid off <laughs> i don't think i could have if i were in the hospital i'm so glad i didn't have the baby in the hospital because they would have been like girl you've been laboring for far too long like we gotta get this baby out so that was great that i was at home because take obviously it took a long time for the baby to come out but also it would not have worked had it not been for that practice that i had spent probably four or five months on developing before i went into labor so
0: it's so interesting i never even thought about what would be like the practical applications of doing like an arm workout oh, like yes. that or like of pushing yourself to the edge of what your body's capable of so that you practice getting to that yep. place with your and body
1: you breathe through it and continue to just be okay with it and of course when you're in labor the thing is when you're in labor it's phys- like not just phys- yeah physically hormonally everything you're not the same person as you are right now your body takes over your it takes over your mind it takes over everything you just not like oh i you know i don't want to like the, the depictions of women in labor in the media and in movies is totally like is. I'm sure some women labor that way, but it is not representative of at least most women in the world. And I think a lot of women see those images and go into labor with not having any other support and understanding that labor can be anything but what you saw on TV. And basically mm-hmm. do those same things, the screaming, the pushing, feeling ultimate pain. Also, by the way, if you were in the hospital, like I was speaking to a friend yes two days ago, and she was telling me, Uh, you know, she has a new baby too. And and her, when she was giving birth, it was all this horror story thing, 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 and then they put her in Pitocin and then they needed to give her a a epidural. And like, it it was incredibly, 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 incredibly painful. And that's why I went to the hospital because I was afraid of going Mm. to the hospital and them taking over and giving me these drugs that would make the pain worse and interfere with my body's natural ability to handle the pain the hospital for me was like emergency scenario if it's an emergency me to the hospital but if it were an emergency I didn't want to because I was afraid I just wanted my body to be able to do what it does and prepared myself mentally emotionally you know physically to be able to ride all those waves and it was incredibly difficult of course but I think it was only I was only able to do it because like I said all that other stuff that I'd done before it was, it was oof, oof. It was not easy. It was worth when it, you
0: though. look back on it, is it like, that was a good day in my life because. Three days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you like, that was a good three days of my life. Or are you like, that was like, do you look back and you're like, oh, wow. That's like so painful.
1: No, I think it was. I look back and I'm like, wow, that was awesome. That was like, yeah, it's like nothing. No, no, it was surreal. It was a surreal experience. The whole thing. Mm. It was really two days because I went into labor in the middle of Monday morning but it was surreal. The only thing that I really didn't like was the fact that I was throwing up and, like, diarrhea. That was the part that I didn't like. The waves, the, like, the contractions and things, that was, like, I could barely even, in, like, not enjoy them, but I could barely even, like, comprehend them because I was, like, throwing up and on the toilet the whole time for, like, at least the first, like, 18 hours, and my midwife was, like, Janae, this is normal for some women. You don't have a, a fever. You don't, like, literally nothing is wrong with you. Your body is just, like, your body just wants all, like, everything out before this baby is born.
0: That's so interesting. Literally, yeah. once
1: everything's out, then the baby can come out for you. Because some women, you know, when they give birth, they, you know, graphic. But this is life. When they give birth, they also have a bowel movement because all the pushing and, you know, you're ejecting. I guess my body was like, no poo on the bed because you just get it out early 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 early. (laughs) so yeah but I did not like that one bit that was the only thing I didn't like the actual labor and stuff okay I could do this but the the being like throwing up yeah that's fair that's
0: fair when I asked you on Instagram recently how you were feeling in life generally so many of you replied that you were stressed which I definitely get there is a lot going on right now I wanted to take the time to share a few of my favorite stress relieving supplements with you. I love Garden of Life's whole food magnesium chelate, which is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, organic, all the good stuff. It's great for keeping your gut healthy, which is an important part of managing stress. But magnesium also just melts away tension in the body. Seriously, try sipping a glass and you will notice a huge difference. The Garden of Life one comes in raspberry, lemon, and orange, and the orange tastes like a creamsicle, which is crazy and so delicious. Garden of Life also makes my favorite, favorite, favorite probiotic, the Mood Plus one, which is the one that comes in a purple bottle. It's a great general probiotic. It's great for supporting your gut health, which again is so important for stress management. And it's also great for supporting your immune system, but it has specific strains selected to help with anxiety, in addition to Ashwagandha, which has a ton of studies to back up its stress relieving properties. I used to take it in the morning, but after interviewing the Gut Health MD for my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition episode, I actually Actually, take it right before bed now, which he says really helps all the bacteria do their best work. You can find Garden of Life products on Amazon or at your local Whole Foods, but the best way to support this podcast is to use my affiliate links, which can be found at lizmoody.com shop or in the description for this episode. I super appreciate it. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It just tells Garden of Life that you found them through my podcast. I know you are going to love the probiotic. I know you're going to love the magnesium and I cannot wait to hear what you think. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm trying to be conscious of your time, but I'm going to ask a few reader questions. We got like, or listener questions. We got a lot, but I'll just limit it to a few. Okay. If your daughter decides not to be vegan, this is from Bali's Natural Kitchen. If your daughter (laughs) decides not to be vegan, how would you react?
1: I'd be upset, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's not like, you know, my mom, like I don't have the same political views as my mom and she doesn't love that I don't but she still loves me and she wishes I thought the same way that she thought. And I wish she felt the same way as I thought, but I don't and it's okay. And I still love her and she still loves me. And so, yeah, with my daughter, I think I will be very upset and I will feel like I didn't do, not that I didn't do my job because I'm, I'm confident that I'll do my job in, in teaching her why we're vegan and hopefully, you know, giving her a great understanding of that. But of course, if she has to make if she wants to do something different, she wants to be a rebel, what can I do? I'm gonna love her regardless. <laughs> I'm not cooking for her though, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's eating meat. No, not for that.
0: <laughs> and that's it's a all. good that's a fair line to draw. Right?
1: You eat. my my dad actually. We growing up, I never ate red meat. We did eat chicken and fish. And my dad, he's very firm with that, you know. Like my brother started eating meat uh i don't know and you know like yeah you can do whatever you want out of the house but you will never bring that into the house and you will never cook that in the house don't expect me to you know same with guests like we don't let guests eat meat so yeah
0: (laughs) that's a fair i mean i think that's it's your house and Mm -hmm. my mother-in-law is a vegetarian and she prepares meat for her family I mean, she does so many things that are so deeply wow. selfless, but like that when she's like handling like a pork loin and she's right. so appalled by it, but she wants wow. to feed everybody else what they right. want to eat. And I'm just like, who are you and how do you do this? Wow.
1: Right. I'm like, no,
0: feed <laughs> <Eat> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think she could use to take a page from your book for sure. Mm. All right. Kate mm-hmm. Bears said, my toddler's so picky. Suggestions for getting kids particularly to eat more fruits and vegetables.
1: Okay, so my daughter she's gotten picky recently. And I mean it's constantly shift with them because it's like today they love blueberries, but tomorrow they hate them. But one thing at least for now that has been steady is for you know most kids like pasta. My daughter loves pasta. And instead of giving her wheat pasta, I use legume pasta, so whatever chickpea, lentil, it doesn't matter, because they're you know made from legumes and it's only one ingredient. So I give her that instead. And I feel, you know, confident that she's getting, getting plenty of protein from that. And I will pair that with vegetables. For my my daughter, if it's not chopped like extremely finely, but not mm. puree either, because puree, she don't want that either. It's gotta be like right at the perfect amount. Chopped really finely, she'll eat it. Also if it's sticky. So I mix avocado in with anything that she doesn't want to eat. Pretty much like. Like she's funny with broccoli now, and she's funny with cauliflower, she's funny with beets. So, I chop it extremely small and then I mix it in with avocado. You know, mix that with the pasta or put that on some easy heel bread or rice, whatever. Girlfriend will eat that. I think she'll eat anything if you mix it with avocado. That's hot tip.
0: Mix yeah. it with avocado.
1: And a lot of most kids like tofu. And so, I will also mix food in with if I, you know, she can't eat avocado every meal. So I'll also mix a lot of vegetables into tofu. So like this morning we did tofu scramble and I mix veggies in, or I'll do tofu quiches. And it's just like making, you know, a regular quiche, but you're using cooked tofu instead. Chop your vegetables really small if your kid is funny about textures and mix it with tofu and bake it like a quiche. And my girl, will she'll tear it up, anything.
0: I have a fantasy of like telling my kids that like broccoli is a treat and that they should be really excited to get broccoli. Does that work or is that like utter bullshit? I mean,
1: I thought it was going to work for my daughter because she loves trees and she's like, "Uh -uh." I'm like, like, Look, at my mommy eating the tree. Mm. Yeah, or it's like, it's dessert
0: time. You get your broccoli now. Like, right? does that work or no? Not
1: for my daughter. Okay. She's not fooled by that. I, I think it worked for me, though, as a kid, because I didn't like broccoli, but I love the idea of, of it looking like a tree.
0: <laughs> it does look like... I, it's, it's so funny, to say that I never really considered the fact that it looks like a little tree. Yes,
1: it really does. It's so cute.
0: <laughs> it's a, Yeah, it's a cute vegetable. Mini All right, tree. and this one's from the Majestic Jen, and I'm also very... Curious about this, because I think where we live has a huge impact on our personalities and our lifestyle. So the Majestic Jen asks how your life has changed since you moved from New York City to L.A. And I'm curious beyond that, like, how do you feel like your personality has changed from New York to L.A.?
1: Okay. I don't think so. I, you know, really, truly, I am a Southern girl at heart. When I was in New York and I started telling our neighbors, we're moving to Los Angeles. like, oh that'll be great for you You seem like you seem like a cali girl you know southern california is great for you but since i've gotten here now i like living here in la it's super fun and such but uh, yeah it's not as it's not as friendly as new york you know new york you you see all your neighbors and max my husband always called me the mayor because i know all my neighbors i do here too but like it's just not the same
0: Have you seen that? There's a John Mulaney sketch where he's like, I walk down the street and my wife says, it's like, I'm running for the mayor of like nothing or something. Like he's like, I'm running for the mayor of nowhere because <laughs> I just me. wave to everybody. Yeah, I talk that, to everybody. Yeah. And my wife right. is like, can we just walk down the freaking street? You're right.
1: You're right. Oh my God. I love it. It's totally me. That, that's his wife is amazing. Cause my husband's from like suburbs in Denver and he's like, whatever. But <laughs> for, for me, like if you don't wave at the passing cars where I grew up, Up in Georgia, like people, you gotta be talked about, right? Like (laughs) we got to every car pass, hi, hi, hi. All the neighbors, hi. My mom knows all her neighbors. is tight, tight. You know, people are always talking about community and like in the United States, there's no community. People don't know their neighbors. Not where I am from, okay? Because my family, interesting, my, my my mom where she lives, she knows all her neighbors. My my dad, you know me. I just moved here a month ago i know all my neighbors like the people right right here right there across the street but yeah i definitely yeah i think i'm i guess that's a southern thing in new york my neighbors the i lived in harlem and majority of my neighbors were older so you know 65 and up and most of them were migrants from the south or immigrants from the south really from they moved During the Great Migration, like in the 60s and 50s to New York, and especially from the part of the South that I'm from, Georgia. And so there was just like a special affinity immediately when I Mm. moved in the building and I got to know these people and some of them I still talk to now on text messaging on Facebook. And it's just like this whole, like when you're from the South, there's definitely this this whole like, I don't know, especially I think it's like white, black, doesn't matter. But there is this like Southern hospitality thing and like knowing your people and like and like speaking to everyone. And in New York, there is more of that. And then here in L.A., I think there's a little less of that. And I don't love that.
0: (laughs) Interesting. I mean, it's more spread out. It's more you're not like crammed together in the same way
1: exactly you're not walking you're not on the subway i do i do know a lot of the neighbors around here because i am walking also i live in a black neighborhood and i've lived in a black i live in harlem all black i lived in here in la i lived last in mid-city and now we live in jefferson park and majority of my neighbors are black and i do think there there's like something also to like you know it's a bunch of old black folks in both neighborhoods.
0: How does that, for your husband, how does that impact him? Because he's a white man. Yeah.
1: Look, good for him because he's from Colorado, from Denver, okay? And he grew up knowing very few Black people. He had like a few friends in school. And then he's with me from Chocolate City, Atlanta and, you know, super Black family, obviously. Uh, And always, like, I feel, I feel most, even though I grew up in, very diverse suburbs and, and mostly white though, but still pretty diverse suburbs. I just like, you know, yeah, I just end up living around black folks a lot. And he is, he's great. He is great. At first, I think it was weird for him because he had never been around so many black people. He tells me the first time he came home with me during Christmas, I think it was, to visit Atlanta. We got off the airplane and we got into Hartsfield International Airport. And he said he'd never seen so many black people. Like, everybody's like Everybody worked there is black. Like, the seas of black people. And he was, like, you know, taken aback by that. <laughs> ah, and so, but over the years, he and I have been together for 12 years. No, It's totally normal for him. I think he, I don't think he thinks he's black, but he definitely is, like, totally 100% normal. I think he's black sometimes. I don't, half the time, I don't even know. I can't remember that he's white. I don't see him as white. You know, people say I don't see color and all that stuff. Well, in our relationship, I don't at all, unless I'm like, feeling bad because I maybe, like, critique white people, especially now we're, like, talking about anti-racism. Yeah, well, I was curious
0: if, like, you, (laughs) if you're having any sort of different conversations with him with the conversations happening these days and also with the fact that you're also raising a daughter who is going to be probably, yeah, perceived in the world in a different way than he would have grown up. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, okay, so he and I, very, 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 very um, political... It, relation. it could be it could be more i'm sure but like we constantly the whole time i love talking about race and blackness and like race relations i love it i can just Ugh. Oh, i love it so much if i weren't doing what i was doing and what i'm doing now i i could i think i would love to do something that has to do with race and to like you know open these conversations so he and i i we're not having any new conversations nowadays we're just having more of the same and we're like Loving the fact that so many other people are also having these relation or these conversations finally and you know anti-blackness is eh, something that other people know about and black lives matter is like trending and like the craziest one oh buy black i had oh i've learned i grew up of course by black you know uh my family always you know, i think all black people you're always like i want to support black owned this black own that But the fact that now it's mainstream and it's cool, it's like me being vegan since 2011. And now veganism is mainstream. Now by black is mainstream. That's like amazing. And it's so exciting. And so him, he's totally been hearing me talk about all these things and being black for all these years. And we have all these conversations about it. His brother, also white, (laughs) is also married to a black woman. Hmm. And they are way more political. They're both lawyers, and they both work with like in social justice. He he's a lawyer that sues the police when like for like wrongdoing and things. Oh wow! They they just moved here from New York, but he still works for the same law firm in New York. And then she specifically works in policy around criminal, as I call criminal injustice. Yeah. So they're like light years ahead of us. But so in our family, it's constantly co- talked about. Uh, Same with my family growing up, constantly we're talking about race, and so he had to come into that. But yeah, no, no new conversations. Just a lot of excitement that everybody else seems to also be having these conversations.
0: Is there anything that you feel like is missing in the broader conversations that you're hearing, and also particularly in the wellness world conversations around race? Yes,
1: I mean, I'll say for specific two things: broader conversations that uh, irks me so much. And this is like everybody, black people say it all the time, white folks say it all the time. This idea that, you know, people look at immigrant populations and say, how come uh, Chinese people are able to, you know, they do X, Y, and Z and black people can't do it. And there's this misunderstanding that people who are immigrants, they are self-selecting. They came here, left mm. their countries, left their families, left, left everything that they had behind. It, with even the understanding that they might not ever return to where they're from to be in a place that they think is going to be better for them and their families and have their children here and their children are going to be Americanized. And like, it's a different type of, not that it's like totally different, like different type of person, like, you know, like that, but it is a self-selecting person. And there are plenty of people in the countries that there these people's countries of origins who will never leave, who are, you know, Just regular people, and sure, their life might be better somewhere else, who knows, but they're not going anywhere. And of course, if you left your country of origin and everything that you had, you're going to come to someplace new and have a whole different, perhaps, work ethic. You're going to just do things differently. Black people in America, of course, there are plenty of successful Black people, and there's plenty of Black people who, you know, I grew up hearing you're not a real Black person a lot, which is just like, of course, like, is most racist, horrible thing. But people have this idea that like black people are lazy and criminal. And if you're not lazy and criminal, but you're black, you you're not a real black person. But the thing is black people, just like any other type of person come in all different shapes and sizes and in different, you know, whatever. I think fundamentally black people shouldn't have to do Black people, all 100% of Black folks in the United States or the world should not have to all be incredibly exceptional people. They don't, they shouldn't all have to be the type of people who would leave their homes, leave everything they have behind and break all the molds and be able to tear down systemic racism and everything that's standing in their way. Instead, Black folks everywhere, and, and I believe everybody too, should just be able to live their lives and be who they are without having you know somebody stand in their way and, and kick them around and, and, and stop them from just being happy people, you know? Like you shouldn't have to be exceptional to be worthy. You should be able to just be a regular person. And people are, I hear this from black people all the time. You know, Pop, we should be more like the Jewish people. We should be more like the, the Asian people, whatever. But it's like, no, we should be able to have whatever... You know, freedoms that anybody else in this country has without having to constantly prove ourselves. We are just as worthy as anybody else, and that should be the bottom line. If you want to if, yeah, it's basically that, that's what I, that's the one thing that hurts me. And then from, I don't know if this is specifically wellness, but I do see a lot of conversation that is kind of funny for me when we're talking about, especially white people talking about the plight of black people everything all the struggles that black folks go through my concern is a little bit like i don't want you know as you learn about as you learn about black history or, or this other side of american history that you, you may not have been taught before i don't want people to feel sorry for black people or feel like black people need to be pitied or black people need to you know like you got to look at us as like a weaker or like some different type of person who just like needs your pity and it's like a sorry thing. You know what I mean? It's more about like getting out of black people's way, getting in supporting. And he, you know, my, my husband has, I, I don't know if you me to say this, but he has this conversation. I'm going to say it. He has this conversation with a friend who I find, I think this friend is hundred percent racist and he has shown himself through this conversation. My husband was, like, you know, trying to like teach this guy. He thinks that by People saying, I'm going to support black. I'm going to, we're going to hire more black people. You know, there's a 15% pledge. We're going to make sure that, you know, if I'm selling products, 15% of the products that I have on my shelves are from black owned businesses, because that's how much of the population you make up. He thinks that that is basically like saying that even though black people products and black people are not as good, they're not as talented, they're not as this, that, and the other even though we're going to support them because we feel sorry for them. No, that should never be the case. I think it's so important to understand Black people are just regular people. And we, you know, if it comes to the 15% pledge, trust me, it will be very easy to find Black-owned businesses that are even better best, as good as, or often better than whatever else that you're already selling. It's not about lowering your standards in any way, shape, or fashion at all. It's about understanding that you've been overlooking the products or the people of an entire group for way too long, and you're just correcting that. There's no need to lower any standards whatsoever. You don't need to pity Black people. Black people are strong. Black people have all these you know, potentials and talents and things. Don't pity us, just like get out of our way and understand that you've been like, you know, basically not supporting us and turning a blind eye and acting like you don't see us all this time, but we're just as good as all y'all and that's it. So,
0: yeah, (laughs) I always say that about the whole diversifying people's feed movement that's happening right now too. nobody's Mm -hmm. saying, like, follow a bunch of people that you don't want to follow. They're Mm -hmm. saying now Mm -hmm. that you're aware these people exist, you can choose the ones that resonate with you and then follow the people that resonate with you. But it's it's about bringing that awareness to the surface. And I think that that's what hasn't happened as much yes. before this moment. Exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm excited because
1: now it's not just about like um, like some sort of affir- like broken affirmative action where you're just like, oh, I really don't like any of this, but I have to file all Black people. No, it's not like that anymore. Like you're saying, people, I think, are having more of that understanding that no, it's, it's going to be something I resonate with, something I actually like, you know? And if I open my eyes up there, I see, yeah, there's plenty of people whose messages. resonate with me. And there's plenty of people selling products or who have, like, if
0: you're hiring people who have all the
1: qualities and are even perhaps overqualified.
0: Well, and I think if you don't do that, it can't have the long, like you'll follow somebody for a month and then you'll unfollow them. You'll use a product briefly and then you won't rebuy it. So I think Mm -hmm. that it's so important when people are integrating different voices and different perspectives Mm -hmm. into their lives that it it is shit that they resonate with.
1: And that's the scary part for me as a Black person because my whole life has been, you know, I might have this opportunity right now, but it could just go away. If I do something wrong, I don't get a second chance. I have to mm-hmm. work so much harder. And it's like, oh my God, there's a, so much anxiety around that. And so I know that what I create is, is wonderful and valuable and all these things, but I'm like, but still there's like this little, there's this slither of like mm-hmm. anxiety and fear that they're gonna be like we're looking extra hard for something like bad, like something to go wrong, so they have an
0: excuse to like unfollow me, you know? Yeah. So, oof! I think they just need to make a recipe or two, and then they're on board for They'll life. Be on board. Yeah, they're so. good. <laughs> Do you have um, time for my quick fire questions? Really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, is if you were going to spend twenty minutes every day in the name of living a healthier, happier life, what's the best way to spend that twenty minutes? Yoga. Do you think 20 minutes is enough to do yoga to get like a good effect to have it count? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yoga is different
1: things, right? So it could be, like I said, I do, I'm especially doing a lot of yoga nidra, which is basically yogic sleep, it, but it's active. So it's not the same as just like regular sleep. If I can't fall asleep before I had my sofa, if I couldn't fall asleep in the bed and I was trying to take a nap, I would put on yoga nidra for an active rest. And that would help me feel very rested, but it still would be, it is still yoga. So, you know, and even if it's an asana practice, actually, like, movement of yoga, 20 minutes, if that's all you can get in,
0: really, really adds up. What's one thing that you've bought recently that's made your life healthier or happier?
1: Uh, that sofa. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> things
0: with the <that> sofa. <laughs> can, wait, where is this sofa? Like, I feel like you need to shout out the sofa brand yeah, at this point. It's,
1: it's room and board. It's a room and board sofa. I think it's, it's like a really deep, it's a 91-inch <laughs> sofa. It's like a regular sofa. It just doesn't look like anything fancy or anything. I just wanted, like, a
0: really comfy sofa. And that's what I got. I, like, I had an Urban Outfitters couch for years that was, like, $300 that I bought oh. online. And then I replaced it with an article couch maybe two okay, or three yeah. years ago. And... My insomnia like got better because I knew that in the middle of the night, if I couldn't sleep, I could go sleep on the couch. Oh, it like changed my life. Honestly. Yes.
1: See, same. I had to, I had to wake up at 3am the other day because I was on GMA and I slept on the sofa and like the fact that it was so comfortable, I went to sleep just so much easier. It was like I also think
0: great. there's like less pressure with sleeping on a sofa versus yes, sleeping. Like your bed so is like, true. you need to go to sleep right now. You're yes. in the bed, which is sleeping time. But like the couch is like, you do what you want. Exactly. I don't know. I don't care. Exactly. And then you fall asleep instantly. Like always. <laughs> exactly. So true. Do you feel successful and why or why not? I do feel successful because I
1: get emails and DMs from people all the time who are telling me that uh, that they've been inspired to become vegan and to eat healthier and to take charge of their health. And that has always been my mission since I started Sweet Potato Soul to just help inspire people to live healthier, happier, and more vegan, hopefully, lives. And I get that every day, and that is just awesome. And of course, you know. I am, you know, have my own business and it's thriving and all like the regular forms of success, success, yes. But as far as like my ultimate mission, the thing that like drives me the most, I get it all the time.
0: And I feel like we already covered this a little bit, but is there somewhere in the world that you've been, we've talked about where you'd want to move to maybe, but is there somewhere in the world where you've been, where you've been like the people really nailed it here in terms of living a healthier, happy life?
1: Yeah, Costa Rica. I lived there in high school. I did an exchange program there and it was,
0: yeah. Definitely. Do you feel like you're treated differently as
1: a Black woman there? Mm, no, because I think maybe because they know I'm American, you know, because there are a lot of Black people in Costa Rica. I've only been to the Caribbean side, which is where most of the Black people live. I've only been there once when I was in high school. But yeah, I, I think they know I'm American. When you're American and a Black person traveling abroad, it's different. They, they If you speak to a Black person who is actually from there, their experience is not going to be the same as yours. People with Americans are just like, you you have like privilege because you are an American.
0: We had that experience in England. They're so class conscious there. And when you speak, your accent immediately tells people essentially how to categorize Mm -hmm. you. And we lived there for a while and we had friends who were really posh and friends who came from poor backgrounds and nobody knew what to do with us. So we got to kind of go to all the different social classes, wow, which is yeah. interesting because they're wow. so class divided. Like exactly. we are talking to our friends there and they said, all the issues you guys are having with race and those conversations in America, we're having them around class in England. Uh,
1: I think it would be helpful actually for us to have, to bring, talk about class more because I believe that in these conversations around race in our country, they are these are class issues like black people are in a lower class even if like for me i make more money than my mom and i am still in i didn't like go to a different class i'm married to a white man and i don't think i'm in a, low, a different class now i still live in the same neighborhood and he just had to come to the neighbor, this neighborhood with me basically i do have more you know potential and not potential but i have more like for example when we when we wanted to get a pre-approved for a loan to buy a house, I'm like. Oh, I'm paranoid because, you know, historically black people getting loans and like qualifying for loans and such. I was like, so grateful, not grateful. Cause it sounds bad, but you know, I was like, oh, glad you're white and you're like here and like, you know, and sometimes I'll have him go in and do something or I'll have him make a call. Cause I'm, I'm afraid because you know, the United States guy is paranoid for, you know, a long time
0: for a good reason. I mean, yeah. you're you're afraid with statistical back- yes, backing for your Thank fear. You. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So but yeah,
1: the class issue. I think it would be helpful to see like like y'all, we talk about you know class issues in different countries all the time and like talk about it like.
0: We've evolved beyond that,
1: but I don't think we have.
0: (laughs) No. And I think it's one of the reasons I love talking about money so much and money is so taboo. And I think that the taboo around money, like how it in -hmm. jobs, they'll tell you not to share your salary. Mm -hmm. It it just proliferates the class issues. It Mm -hmm. makes them go on longer because we're told and women are especially taught not to talk about money. And then that keeps women making less money. And I'm just like, let's talk about it. I fully agree. Okay. Last one. What is one mistake that you've made that you've learned from the most? And then what's one thing that you really feel like you got right in your life?
1: Well, from a many, many, many mistakes, like I'll say from, if this is okay, through a slew of many mistakes of the course of many years, I have learned that happiness and contentment doesn't come from outside of you, but it comes from within you. And so now I'm 33, I'm able to really, when I think that I can get happiness from something outside of myself and I like start obsessing over how do I get that thing? I'm now able to correct myself and really have a conversation with myself um, to remind myself that before you can get it from out there, you need to make sure it's coming from the inside because that thing that you want on the outside, you're going to get it. It's not going to keep, make you happy for very long, you know, and then it's going to be something else and you've forgotten about this thing. So instead of putting so much energy in how do I get whatever thing, because there's a lot of things (laughs) and put that energy in
0: and to myself instead. Mm. What's something you really nailed? Like, what'd you really get right in life? Which I feel like what you just said was almost that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I got that right as like, like as an idea, but like to practice. (laughs) that's a different thing
0: how do you put that into like how do you put because I can get the philosophy behind that but then I I don't know quite how to put that energy into myself in a way that's concrete and not based on achievement or being validated by external sources
1: well it's for me gratitude um like living in gratitude you know I I don't keep a I've kept a gratitude journal years and i'm not keeping one right now maybe i should but i i i have developed this practice of you know constantly coming back to gratitude within myself and, and 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 everything that i do um because if i don't keep you know being grateful for the things that i do have it's super easy for me very you know ambitious type a type of person to like start looking around the corner and and like not seeing anything that's right in front of me anymore. So gratitude, I would say that's where, that's something I've gotten right. Gratitude and just, um, yeah, being, I think also being very self-critical, but not, I don't think, I don't believe that I'm self-critical to a, um, a fault because that could be obviously dangerous too, but trying to be self-aware and, and, you know, critiquing, things that i want ideas that i have being okay with being wrong i think is important i i my husband has taught me a lot of that um, i call him the he's like a natural born buddhist he wouldn't say that but to me he is cuz i am not like that and uh, our relationship has always been you know one the biggest difficulty we've had in our relationship is that that clash of personalities and so over the last 12 years i've definitely learned to question and to not be so impulsive and impatient to question you know my motives and have gratitude and to fulfill fill my own tank and fulfill my own uh, quest for for happiness rather than trying to get it from outside
0: I love that well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today thanks for having me I hope you loved this episode with Janae Claiborne. I'm feeling mushy today, but I really am so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful to get to have these conversations to think about these things and to share them with all of you and to get to continue having them later with all of you on Instagram and on email and all of that. So if you have thoughts on this episode, please screenshot it. Tag me. I'm at Liz Moody. Tag Janae. She's at Sweet Potato Soul. And if you love the episode, I would so appreciate a quick iTunes rating or review. It makes a huge difference in helping people find the podcast. And I also think we're like 20 away from a thousand on iTunes, which is very exciting. I don't know why. It feels like a big milestone. So I really appreciate you helping me reach it and helping this podcast reach more people. If you know somebody who would love or benefit from all of the wisdom that Janae shares in this episode, please shoot the link over to them and let's welcome them into our little HT fam. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. And I will see you on the next episode. I always say that the most important things that you can do for your health are the ones that have the biggest impact for the smallest amount of effort. Using non-toxic laundry soap is one of my top hacks for that reason. I am not going to buy all organic clothing, but I can make sure what's touching my skin is as healthy for me as possible by washing all of that clothing in the safest possible laundry detergent. That is why I'm so excited to tell you about a brand that I am using, Molly's Suds. This is actually the first non-toxic laundry detergent that I came across so many years ago, and it's a staple that I have continuously come back to time and time again. If you remember, Dr. Sarah Villafranco actually recommended Molly's Suds in our episode about skin health because it's an SLS-free brand, which is actually really hard to come by, and it's incredibly important, especially if you deal with dry skin, acne, or any irritation. Molly Suds is free from 1,4-dioxane, formaldehyde, synthetic dyes, fragrances, SLS, like I mentioned, and other harmful chemicals that can cause cancer, disrupt your hormones, or cause allergic reactions. They are also free from optical brighteners, which are particularly interesting because Optical brighteners are designed to bind to your clothing and stay there, which means they are always coming into contact with your skin, and they can cause irritations and sensitivities. They're also awful for the environment, yet the vast, vast majority of detergents that you buy at the store contain them. Seriously, Google the detergent that you're using. I bet that it has it in it. But Molly Suds does not, and they're proven to be more effective and more cost-effective on a price-per-load level than leading brands while leaving out everything that can harm you. Molly Suds is cruelty-free vegan and Leaping Bunny certified and proudly made in the USA. Make a healthy choice and make the switch like I have to Molly Suds. You can pick up Molly Suds on your next Target run or just for the Liz Moody podcast listeners, order through my exclusive URL to get 20% off all Molly Suds products. To get this fantastic deal, go now to M-O-L-L-Y-S-S-U-D-S.com slash Liz Moody and use code Liz Moody at checkout. Again, for 20% off, go to Molly's Suds.com slash Liz Moody and use code Liz Moody at checkout.